I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to our live Big Squid recording where my friends and I pose the question, can we still enjoy it? My name is Justin Hamilton and I promise I'm never going to cancel you here on Big Squid. to our live show that was originally recorded at Giant Dwarf on May 2nd. The show had a big lineup that included Tom Gleason, Alice Fraser, Rob McManus, Angela Fapierre, Richard Feidler, Ben Elwood, Georgia Mooney, Alexi Toliopoulos and AJ Lamar. Today's episode has been produced by Sean Allen, who came in and did a bunch of work on the audio files that, to be completely honest with you, was beyond me. There were some little glitches here, there were some volume issues and Sean came in and he did all this work and he's made it sound fantastic so a big thank you to him. I won't keep you for too long just wanted to have a quick chat with you before we get into the show. I know we all listen to podcasts in different ways whether it's jogging or commuting or falling asleep on the lounge or whatever so I just want to kind of clarify the objective of this show. I wanted to do this because The other day I was listening to a podcast and I kind of got offended at something and then I realised that I'd been daydreaming while I was preparing food and listening and then I went back and listened properly and was like, oh no, I completely misinterpreted that. And I thought, well, this is a tricky show in some ways. I think it's a great show. I'm extremely happy with it. But I just kind of want to give you a heads up because that might happen to you and that's not a bad thing. It just is one of those things that happens. And I've been thinking about this subject for a long time and have come to the conclusion that everyone can enjoy whatever they choose to enjoy. You don't have to justify it to anyone. And I think people throughout history are complicated. And that means even the best people are full of flaws and missteps. And sometimes you like a person's work and 
their work is inspiring and brings a lot of emotion to your life and makes you happy. And then they'll do something and you'll be a bit like, well, maybe you've ruined it, but maybe you haven't. It all depends on what the person's done or is it just a shifting in the times or whatever. I think if you were to decide that you're only going to enjoy the work of perfect people, then what you're really saying is, hey, I'm never going to enjoy anything. (laughs) So what you're willing to look past is your choice and what you can't look past is a decision only you can come to. And this is not a live show that tells you you're right or you're wrong. This is a show that consists of entertaining people who are sharing their thoughts in funny and irreverent ways. I wouldn't be surprised if there are subjects in this show that will make you laugh one minute, but then the next you'll disagree with vehemently. As I said earlier, this isn't a show that sets out to tell you that you're right or wrong on any subject. This is a show that tells you, yes, you can still enjoy whatever you like, and here are people sharing their thoughts on a number of topics. This has always been a podcast that celebrates art and entertainment, and I go into every experience wanting it to be amazing. I love to be amazed. I love having my breath taken away when watching a movie or listening to a song or reading a book. And when it comes to comedy, I like the stuff that takes risks and isn't afraid to be irreverent and naughty and thoughtful. And I believe all of my guests, while playing to the live audience, bring that to the stage. You're going to hear some funny takes on subjects people are often afraid to bring up. You're going to hear personal stories that will make you gasp and laugh in horror. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But if you were listening to who's on the lineup, I'm sure you can work it out. You're going to hear people be serious for a moment before slipping in a gag you weren't expecting. And there's going to be some stuff that's just kind of pointed out. And I was very proud of everyone on the show because it was a tricky subject and nobody shirked the idea of it. And everyone lived up to their one true creative responsibility to the audience, and that is to entertain. Now, I don't expect you to agree on all the takes. But I just want to remind you that this is a place where we have grown up discussions about pop culture free of the ranting and raving of the world out there. Unless it's The Shape of Colour. Fuck that movie. (laughs) You know, Ben and I are going to watch it and do a podcast on it one day. Ah, anyway, as I said earlier, I know sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts, I can be doing something else and have my mind wander and in the process, lose the context of whatever is being said at any given moment. I was over the moon with how this show played out and I hope you have fun. I hope you laugh a lot. And I also hope it generates discussions that you can have with your friends and loved ones. The world is a complicated place But I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's a strength. I hope you enjoyed this live show. And to kick it off, let's bring me to the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Giant Dwarf on this fine Sunday afternoon. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'm wrapped to have you here for Big Squid. Thank you very much. A mildly uh, confused introduction from you, so uh, fuck it, we're here. We're ready to go, and I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. A uh, round of applause for everyone at Giant Dwarf for putting this on on a Sunday afternoon. This is good. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, thanks for coming back. If you're new and you don't quite know how this works, uh, essentially the podcast celebrates all different types of art and entertainment. 
But sometimes the people who create the stuff that we love are shitheads and it makes it very difficult to sometimes enjoy their stuff. So the theme of today's podcast is can we still enjoy it? And I'm going to tell you, we can. It's not a fucking debate. We can still enjoy it. It's not an IQ debate where, hey, give us a round of applause. Fuck that. We're telling you, you can still enjoy it. But sometimes it's just a bit fucking hard, right? So that's what we're going to be discussing. And look, my personal point is that I'm just not into cancel culture. I'm not into the idea of cancelling the past. I think you need to remember the past to be able to see where we've come. You've got to be able to look back at some stuff and think that was a bit embarrassing. Oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that. And that's how you progress. I was recently working on Dancing with the Stars with Daryl Summers. Sorry to brag. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we had a really good time. And he's a really interesting man. And when I say interesting, I mean he's Daryl Summers. And he... <laughs> He said to me when he found out that I'm a stand-up comedian, he's like, how do you still do stand-up comedy in cancel culture? And I said, well, I'm just not racist, homophobic or sexist or a bit of a cunt. So what I do before I go on stage is I think, what would John Blackman do? And I do the opposite. And my career is going well, right? So it seems to be fine. But there's also, I think the problem is that we look back on things and we put them under the same umbrella like you know the shit that used to go on with Kamal and that was not only racist but it was also bullying and you never want to get on your high horse because sometimes when you look back at your own stuff it can be problematic I started as a stand-up comedian in 1994 in Adelaide you know Adelaide's where you pronounce Lego correctly and I thank you Adelaide people fucking sticking together and I started off in a duo called the Bunsen Boys and my friend and I, we put on our first uh, fringe show in 1996 and uh, a couple of years ago I did a show about that five years of being in that duo and I look back at that old show and there were some funny sketches. We filmed some funny sketches. We did, you know, it's 1996 so we did a Pulp Fiction thing where we were like Jules and Vincent talking about the differences between the East Coast and the West Coast from an Adelaide perspective and I was reading the script and I thought this is really funny. I thought, you know, I'll do, I'll show the clip at the show, I got an old VHS and I got an old VHS recorder and I put it in and I watched it and I thought, no one can ever see this because Damien is in blackface in all of the sketches, like all of them, like, like absolutely every single one of them. Like sometimes there didn't need to be a black character. Guess what? Blackface. It's a fucking hard look, right? Now, I don't feel bad because that was 1996. Harry Connick Jr. hadn't come out here and taught us yet what we were doing wrong. And, uh, you know, we had African-American basketballers from the Adelaide 36ers come and watch and tell us that they loved that part of the show. So I don't feel bad about that because I didn't know better. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't show it. I didn't put it on YouTube and try to justify it. What I did was the most sensible thing a grown-up can do. I watched it. I didn't blink. Took it out. Put it back in its case. Put it in a box. Put that box in another box. Put that box in a suitcase. Put some bricks around it. I couldn't lift the suitcase. It was too heavy. Called a friend over. We picked it up. We went to his car. We drove down to a pier. We got onto a boat. We went out into the middle of the ocean. We dropped it. I killed him. I killed the guy who drives the boat. Then I sat there for about three days and waited for someone to pick me up because I forgot how to fucking drive a boat. But the promising good thing here is no one will ever see it, right? And that's how you're meant to deal with that shit. Uh, then there's things like uh, Woody Allen. Woody, Woody Allen is obviously problematic, though, like, fuck, oh, he's coming in hot now. But, you know, but 
for me, when I was a kid, when I was 10 years old, we had a family function. Uh, it was Christmas Day and, you know, I had uncles who turned up who were really drunk. One of my uncles got his nephew, who was older than me and bigger than me, got him riled up and he beat me up at the age of 10, like, which is hard to believe because, like, how adorable am I now? Imagine me at 10, like, fuck. <laughs> that kid was cute. And he beat me up and then after that, my mum said... No one can come over for Christmas again. No one. And nobody believed it. And they turned up the next <laughs> year and they're knocking on the door. And we're just sitting down watching movies. We were just watching movies. People just kept knocking and we ignored them. And that's fucking hilarious, right? Because they stayed there for a long time calling out to us. Are you going to let us in? And we didn't even answer. It's just like we were deaf to them, right? But the thing is, is that mum and I bonded over Woody Allen movies. So I watched all of those movies from a young age and I loved them. And he was really smart. It introduced me to the music of Gershwin, introduced me to the ideas of cinematography. I learned how to kind of write by watching his movies, etc. So when this stuff comes out and people tell you you have to cancel him from your life immediately, what you're saying to that individual is you need to negate a part of your personal history that was a very important part. And you need to give people time to come to that conclusion. If that's what they want to do, you need to give them time. I made a promise to my mum when I was 13. We found out that Woody Allen played jazz on a Monday night in New York. And I said to her, I'm going to take you there one day. And for her 60th birthday, I flew her to New York. We went and saw him play jazz. We had a really good time. Then I came home and then I threw out all of his stuff and it's done. It's like I'd done the right thing (laughs) and now it's over. But I'll be honest with you. There are some people that I have fucking put a flag in the ground and you could tell me anything about them, I don't give a fuck. I am not flinching. David Bowie, I love him. He's my dad. I love David Bowie so much. You could show me a photo of him on an ivory throne eating a panda with some slaves giving him a manicure with some blood diamonds and I would look at that and think, I wonder how he cooked the panda. Don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care if you told me he killed seven people. All I'd think, well, none of them wrote Let's Dance. And <laughs> how's this? Let's Dance, not even top 50 of my favourite Bowie songs. That's how little I care about those imaginary dead people. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I hate the trope of uh, in movies or TV where it's the dead wife that motivates the protagonist. It's a boring trope. It's done. We need to move on. I love Christopher Nolan. Most of his protagonists have dead wives. Now, I can justify it because every movie he's worked on, he's worked on with his wife. So to me, Christopher Nolan really loves his wife and he can't think of anything worse than having her dead. So if you tell me it's a trope that he needs to let go of, I say to you, why are you against love? There you go. I'm back. George Clooney does adverts for Nespresso. Guess what? I met him once. He laughed. Don't give a fuck. He can do whatever he wants. I'm very easily won over. If Peter Dutton was here, I'd say, fuck you. And if he laughed, I'd say, you're not as bad as I thought, you know? (laughs) I'm shallow. That's what I'm trying to say, right? But sometimes you just have to do. You just have to make a choice. So we're going to be, my friends and I are going to be discussing all sorts of things. We're going to be discussing children's books, authors from the 30s, musicians. We're going to be talking about when people tell you off for telling personal stories because it triggers them. Uh, We're going to talk about that. And look, It's a sensitive day. We're going to have some sensitive topics and the only mature way to handle that is by starting this show off with two middle-aged white men telling you what's wrong. Welcome to the stage, Tom Gleeson.
Hello. <laughs> I am not a middle-aged white. Well, I am a middle-aged white man, but I'm also. I my parents were bankrupt, so I've come from poverty. Yeah. And I come from. I'm, I'm Irish in extraction. We're an oppressed people. I was brought up Catholic. Yeah. We're always being beaten up on by fucking Protestants. I'm the downtrodden. Yes. And anyway, this I just is- wanted to clear the air there. <laughs> And this is your opportunity to get yeah. shit even, right? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on this in general? <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to enjoy everything all the time. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can do, what you do is you make sure you don't know about the bad stuff that's happened. Right. <laughs> I have not watched the documentary about Woody Allen. You know why? It means I can still watch the films. Right. I don't even know what the allegations are. Don't tell me. No spoilers. <laughs> I don't want to know. Apparently he's done some heinous shit. I still don't know what it is. In my head, it's 1978. I can watch all the films and enjoy them. Yeah. So just don't, don't, just don't learn about it. Just stay ignorant. That's the way you do it. Bill Cosby. Some of my favourite comedians are Bill Cosby, Louis C.K. and Rolf Harris. Right. <laughs> They're my childhood heroes. Mate. I love Louis C.K. in 1982. <laughs> This is the thing. I've got a workaround, right? I, Bill Cosby's albums are still funny. I'm really sorry, but they're still funny. But this is the thing, right? People say you can't enjoy it anymore because of what he's done. But what he did was a crime and he's been punished for it, right? Right. Well, you don't listen to crime fucking podcasts and go, well, I can't listen to this because I'm supporting a murderer. Right. <laughs> so when you listen to Bill Cosby, treat it like a true crime podcast. <laughs> You can enjoy all the albums and it's all building up to a big fucking crime and he gets charged. Right. It's got a really good ending. But in the meantime, you can have a fucking laugh. Right. <laughs> and that goes for any... Woody Allen. He, right. Did he commit crimes? Don't tell me. <laughs> but if he did, you can enjoy the films yeah. and then like a true crime fucking Netflix documentary. <laughs> And laughing at Bill Cosby's jokes aren't going to get him out of jail, right? No, that's right. They're not going to undo that. And those albums didn't become not funny because he's in jail. That's just the end to the true crime podcast. So I saw you do support for Louis C.K. Yeah. And And I was ignorant at the time. You were. (laughs) I spent a lot of time with him backstage. He said, can he wank in front of me? I said, yes. (laughs) It wasn't a crime. Or enjoyable. I didn't mind it. Right. I learned a few things. I thought I should wank like that because he's obviously, he's a very high-profile comedian. I was wanting to improve my game. I thought if I wank like that, maybe I can get my own sitcom. In fact, I started wanking like Louis C.K. when I saw him wank backstage at the Athenaeum in Melbourne on that day. Right. And not long after that, I got heart quits. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah. I reckon things really kicked off for me after I started wanking Louis C.K. style. It really explains your use of the word hard. Well, I remember, because I saw him in LA do one of the greatest stand-up shows I've ever seen. He was yes. unbelievable. And then I saw you do support for him, and there was a tight 30 minutes on wanking, and we didn't know anything at that point. And, <laughs> and you know when you're watching something and going, fuck, he really is talking about this yes. a lot. And then I remember walking out and the first person I saw was Judith Lucy, who was just like, there was a lot of wanking material. And and that, that was when I started to go off it. Like I would probably still be able to do and enjoy his material if I hadn't seen him do 30 minutes on wanking. Because I know that is him. Yeah, because it brings it back, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Whereas when you listen to Bill Cosby albums, he's not talking about drugging and rooting people who are asleep. Right. He's talking about his brother Russell. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just have a laugh. He doesn't talk about drugging Russell and rooting him while he's sleeping. If he did, it would ruin it. Like, it would fucking ruin it. You'd like, this true crime podcast has really fucking kicked off early. <laughs> I just want to laugh at Russell and Fat Albert. Oh, yeah. body shaming. Fuck, I didn't oh, think that. Fuck. It's, a it's fucking, tricky. It's a fucking tough world, isn't it? <laughs> right? It is. As a white man, I struggle. And how do you... <laughs> and how do you still enjoy Rolf Harris? <laughs> Well, Rolf Harris had a TV show yes. where he would get celebrities on his show and he would interview them yep. at length. And while he interviewed them, he painted them. And then at the end of the show, he'd reveal the portrait to the uh, person who's interviewing. So I enjoy Rolf Harris by watching Arndo. Right. <laughs> Course correction. Yeah, that's right. Arndo's a genius because he stole the format Arndo's Brush with Fame from fucking Rolf Harris. He's in the fucking big house in prison. He's not going to say, can I have my format back, Arndo? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking clever when you think about it. Mate, I'm going to do my version of Three Little Boys. <laughs> well, I'm going, to, I'm going to have a new sitcom called The Cosby Show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there, uh, uh, comedy in general is a, a difficult thing to kind of keep on top of because it's always moving forward. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like I remember reading so much about Lenny Bruce and how much of a genius he was and how he broke all of these taboos and opened the way for modern stand-up comedy. And then I listened to some Lenny Bruce and it was fucking hard work. Do you know what I mean? Like it just wasn't funny. Yeah, he didn't and talk fast enough. No, <laughs> not enough jokes, to be <laughs> honest. So, so looking at comedy over the years, it's always hard to kind of judge it because culture is always moving forward. Yes. Well, the thing that it upsets me about cancel culture, I don't like using buzzwords, so I don't usually say cancel culture. Sorry, Matt. Well, it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. It's just supply and demand. Right. That's really what it is. Right. So people get really upset and go, oh, you can't, oh, we cancelled such and such. We, no, you didn't. It's just like demand dried up. Yeah. Well, that's that was, all that happened. Well, that's what Daryl said to me. He said, mate, if Hey Hey Saturday was around now, it would be cancelled. I was like, mate, it was cancelled twice. <laughs> Yeah, there's no demand for it. No demand, mate. Well, it's like a tricky one, getting back to Louis C.K. So his initial allegation, or no, no what happened, because he apologised for it, yeah. is that he uh, masturbated in front of two junior comics, or right. who were junior to him, and the, the inference was that he was abusing his position of power because when he asked them if he could do it, they said yes, but they, didn't, they said yes because it's Louis C.K. Right. And so the thing is he put them in a position where they felt obliged to say yes because he was senior. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't break any laws... And he and so it was. So he hasn't been charged for anything, right? And so everyone says Louis C.K. is cancelled, right? Right. But is he? He's not. No, he's not. He's doing shows, doing selling really tickets. Well. Yeah. And he's got a special ad. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. Yeah. He hasn't been cancelled. Yeah. Why? Because there's demand. Yeah. Supply and demand is how it works. I'm really sorry. I know you. I know. I know he's off the boil. I know he's not as popular as he used to be. But I'm just saying, if you want to enjoy Louis C.K., you can pay to watch him right now, and he probably won't masturbate during it. Yeah. And you can think about how he was really good for your career. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While masturbating. Yeah. But we can't all be household names, can we, Rove? No. Yeah. <laughs> what a way to go. Uh, we have a few guests to go, uh, so I've got an important question for you. Mm. 
how bad would the crime have to be for you to stop hanging out with me? Oh, for, oh yeah. with you? Like if I, like, how many dead bodies, like, is there a limit that you'd still stand by me? Uh, oh, gee, it's a bit tricky. You did make me watch all of The Leftovers. <laughs> and I'm still friends with you after that. Well, that seems fair enough. Yeah. Give it up for Tom Gleeson. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to bring up our next guest. Uh, she's a comedian and a journalist and a new friend. You may have heard her on the Big Squid podcast. Please welcome to the stage, Ange LaFopierre. <laughs> so we had a fun time uh, discussing what we were going to do for this and you pointed <laughs> out to me literally my whole job is finding shit and having to report on it. And then you proceeded to say, I can talk about some of these things and you gave me such a long list of shit we can't enjoy anymore. Yeah, guess what? I brought the list. You brought the list. (laughs) So a journalist, if you didn't know, uh, a a journalist is a person who goes out and finds more information out about the thing that you enjoy currently and then we uh, take that information and then we put it in some sort of format and we bring it back to you and we say, here's why it's no longer ethical to enjoy the thing that you were previously enjoying. Um, and I've been a journalist for about 15 years now, so I've got a long list. Right. I've arranged it now for better order. <laughs> Good. I appreciate that. Um, so do you want to just start hitting us with your list? All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So air in your home. <clears throat> uh, Sorry, what's air? Air in your home. Yeah, you heard me. Um, so it's a, this is a press release that I received this week. Um, it goes like this. Started well. Hi, Angela. I hope you're well. I was. Um, <laughs> I have a story that may interest you. It did. Um, the first Australian study to measure microplastics inside homes has found that significant levels of tiny but potentially toxic microplastic dust particles are in every single house that participated in the research. The Macquarie University study published today uh, reveals that these potentially harmful particles make up almost 40% of the dust in the air in our homes. So air's off the menu. Right. Um, although cancel. Cancel air, uh, but it does – there's a little PS here, and that's the, the risk of inhaling them is greatest for children under six. So we're all safe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so goodness. that's good. So silver lining that there. That must be up to about 80% at Rove's house with all his action figures. Yeah. Um, yeah, better masks indoors, Rove. Um, okay. Um, uh, all right. Well, like, there's a couple we knew about. I mean, I'll just rip through the A's. So there's Amazon, obviously, union-busting slave drivers, and they're taking over the world. Just go to a bookshop, you lazy dogs. Um, uh, <laughs> apples. You know how they're all shiny? Yeah. What's wrong with apples? They're not meant to be shiny. Apples aren't meant to be shiny. No, they come, well, they come shiny, which is like a natural wax that they produce, but then they clean them and then they're like, well, these aren't shiny enough anymore. And so to make them shiny again, there's a bug called the lac bug, which lives in Thailand and India, so it's not even locally produced. And they take the bugs and the bugs resin and they crush it and that becomes something called shellac. And all the apples you've ever eaten, unless you pick them off a tree with your little hands, are covered in dead bugs. Apples, cancel. Um, 
far out. Huge blow for vegetarians. Um, uh, I actually, well, I mean, it's been a bat's, I actually like bats a lot, so it makes me sad that they're the COVID culprits and we've learned how disease-ridden they are and that they, sh- like, they've also got some of the most pungent shit and piss in the world. Right. Um, like, there's these, there's about three free parking spots in Redfern um, and I could never work out why until I used one of them one day and it turns out they're, like, under, like, a bat sanctuary um and so you come back in the morning and it's like that episode of round the twist you know the one with where bronson gets stuck inside the shack and the seagulls and it's just like this mound of anyway it's like that but it's your car anyway um so bats, bats. cancel cancel bats you shouldn't eat them either don't that's... eat them that's how we got into this mess mate um like i know a bat parmigiana sounds tasty but fuck it right yeah um later maybe or get the bat tested Okay. Um, uh, okay. This is a big one. This is a really big one. This is a big one I found out recently, and it's just been baking my noodle ever since. Okay. So batteries, uh, not just any batteries. The batteries that we need to reach net zero. Yeah, we love net zero. Yes, but <laughs> some people are sensing a bait and switch in the wind. Uh, so, uh, so they're full of cobalt. Uh, and cobalt is almost exclusively mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, where the mining standards are not very good and people die all the time and it's mainly ch- children dig them out of the, dig it, dig it out of the ground with their tiny little hands. So, um, uh, Duracell Bunny cancelled. Fuck that guy. Well, no. Uh, like action on climate change cancelled. Ooh, oh. what do we do now? Like I said, it's a real pickle. <laughs> Take, you can think about that one later. Um, <laughs> You know, I put this one on the list um, because – but there's some good news here. Okay, so cocaine um, (laughs) – so did anyone watch – you guys watched that series about Pablo Escobar? Yeah, yeah, some, some mixed feelings about it perhaps. Um, okay, so there's like this figure that, that was tossed around in there that is often quoted, which is six people die for every kilo of coke that comes out of Colombia, right? Um, so it's not true. I did a lot of research about this. It's fewer than six. <laughs> Oh, well, so, okay, uh, So it's back. Uncancelling things. All right. Uh, Let's get confident. Hand, yeah, it's an addictive, soulless, overpriced waste of time and it's cut with meth um, and diesel in Sydney, so it is complicated. Um, Sydney Coke, cancelled. Yeah, cancelled, cancelled Colombian Coke. Coke, back on track. All right. Um, crypto. <clears throat> so Bitcoin uh, could raise the Earth's temperature by two degrees. But, Huh? Like, is, isn't it imaginary? No. Okay, so here's the thing. Because um, blockchain is what's used to – is a uh, complicated sort of coding, I suppose, that's used to uh, – please please, no nerds that are hearing this and I'm wrong. Please don't take me down and tell me that I'm wrong. I don't care. Um, okay, so – but it requires a lot of servers to store all the information that keeps the, like, moneyness of Bitcoin secret. Uh, and that – is like a huge number of servers and they all need to be powered and that's a huge amount of electricity and we're not getting it renewably. And so Bitcoin, and that's even like, I mean, you heard of all the stupid cryptos that came after Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin was a relatively sensibly titled one. Now we've got like, you know, like Dogecoin and like Kylie Jenner coin and like, you know, like, you know, just... Does anyone here invested in crypto? I'm invested in the Kylie Jenner one. That's yeah, going well. well, that was actually going pretty well. Hot tip. Um, uh, but yeah, you will be, uh, dissolving the earth's atmosphere as you do it. Crystals also mined by children in the Congo. A lot of things mined by children in the Congo. I'm talking about the magic ones, like the amethysts, like the ones that, you know, help clear your chakras. Yeah. 
very unethical. And someone called Crystal. She's cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's... Yeah. Because she's got all those fucking amethyst crystals. Well, it's because she, she drove through that border crossing. Yeah, yeah. fucking crystal, mate. <laughs> yeah, didn't, doesn't believe in COVID. Um, Facebook quizzes and face apps, you know, everyone wanted to know what Disney princess they were and what they would look like when they were 80, which is fair enough. You're only human, but that's how we got Trump. So now we can't do that anymore. Jesus. Um, do you still do Facebook quizzes? Nah. Personality quizzes? No. Nah. None of them. You know um, who you are. Um, You've got like a totally firm identity. I'm 100% across who I am and really? that person is fucking tedious, but I know him. But so. which Disney princess are you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say in public. Ah, uh, you got a Jasmine vibe. Um, okay, so uh, Instagram? Are we cancelling Instagram? I've put no, Instagram on this list. Got all those photos. Yeah, on. but Facebook owns it, and it's pretty. But it tanks your mental health. We've actually got this. Like the studies are back. The reports are back. Um, well, hang on. Like all I do is I, I look at some photos of some fit people, and and then I you look eaten, up, and it's been an hour and a half, and you haven't eaten, and you I haven't need eaten to pee, in three but weeks. Sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but I look great, and I'm fucking hungry. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I suppose that's a kind of synergy. Right. Um, Okay, milk. So this is actually more good news because I was dating a vegan up until recently. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. Um, So uh, no, really. I mean, but here's the thing: when you like when you when you're in love with someone and they say some things fucking dumb, you're just like, yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Um, And one of the things he told me um, from like his, you know, like the pearl of wisdom from the vegan tree was that milk is full of pus and blood. And I was like, oh, that's disappointing. I didn't entirely stop drinking milk, but I did cut back. Right. <laughs> a rational person might have stopped altogether, so maybe there was a little bit of doubt in my mind about the relationship um, at that point. But in any case, um, now that we've broken up, I have gone and, and looked into it. Um, and so it's not quite true. Cows, cows are prone to mastitis, yeah, um, which means that there is quite a lot of pus and blood in the milk initially, but they're very good at finding it and then they put the pus and blood milk in a separate place and then they get rid of it, you know, and then they the, all the rest of the milk's fine. Um, so milk's fine, totally fine if drinking, you know, another animal's tit juice is your thing. Only when you put it that way. Yeah, yeah it actually makes it more appealing, doesn't it? Um, uh, musk. You guys know Musk? Like the lolly? Like the little pink lolly? Mined by children in the Congo. Um, no. No, Musk. it's not. No, but it does come from uh, the – honestly, though, it does come from the gland. It's the gland located near the prostate of a very specific breed of deer. Yeah, that's true. Right. Sorry, it's not actually a joke there. Sorry, I, um, I, I have to be honest. I – blacked out for a moment trying to work out how they got the musk and then uh, I went to a very dark place and I was wrapped to come back and realise I was still here. That was some fucking imagery that I will Did not get Did you not over. know that? No. Is this all news to people? Yeah, I didn't know that's where yeah, you get the okay, musk from. Right, cool. That's no, insane. Because I'm here to teach you. I'm actually not here to make you laugh at all as it turns out. Do you? Um, um, yes, you are. And yeah. uh, give us one more to finish up because we've got to bring on... Uh, um, I'll just quickly. Okay, so quinoa means that uh, the people of Bolivia can no longer afford their staple food. Um, Nazis got the okay hand symbol. Salmon, not pink. It's grey. They dye it for your viewing pleasure. Um, and then after all this, so I was like, I came up with this list and I was reading it out to a mate the other day just to check out if it was too much of a bummer. <laughs> um, and I got to the end and he was like, 
oh, well, at least there's always sex. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, actually I interviewed a doctor about HPV the other day and they're like, oh, we've actually downgraded. We no longer call it an STI anymore because so many people have it that we're worried that if we tell people it's an STI still that they'll stop fucking. So we are such... We're so riddled with venereal disease as a society that we're now having to move the goalposts, change the definition of what constitutes an STI in order to continue procreating so that everyone can still get horny occasionally. So, yeah, sex is off the table too. So I'm just asking for a friend. You can't catch it from yourself, can you? You can, you can try. Right, and I might. Uh, <laughs> and we're back to wanking. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for Angela for Pierre. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a little bit of movie talk now. I'm going to welcome to the stage uh, two very good friends of mine, Alexi Toliopoulos and AJ Lamarck. Round of applause for them. Hello. Both, um... Hello. Hello. Both, uh... I don't know how to... There's a big dip exactly where I sat. <laughs> how does one... Right. How does, does one... Strat, does one... I don't know. Do we do the does queen? this look normal? Yeah. <laughs> there's a huge dip in my ass where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, right. I did... When I was looking at this running order, I did not expect this part of it to get really sexy, to be honest. Okay. And, uh, you're really... I'm one it. of the most horny comedians that there is, so... <laughs> I hope to put the vibe out there tonight. Yeah. And I feel like I'm the person in the band that ruins that career for everybody else. Like, I'm sexy too. <laughs> and I'm the lead singer that's been brought back after doing 16 months of drug rehab and everyone goes, nah, fuck it, you've lost it. Anyway, um, so we're, we're fans of movies. It's a lot of problematic people in the, uh, in the film industry. I recently... Uh, rewatched the Mad Max movies and they're fucking great. And you know who's really good in them? Mel Gibson. You know who's awful? Mel Gibson. But you know who's good in them? Mel Gibson. And you know, you you rewatch Gallipoli. He's great yep. in that. The Year of Living Dangerously. Like it's you got to watch the Beaver Dude. It'll fix everything. He <laughs> really? sucks shit in that movie. Oh, is he? You got? I'll give you. Anyone has a problematic person they need to get rid of. I've seen every movie. I can help you purge any one of them. <laughs> I can do it for you right now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Does someone anyone, throw me a name? Throw, throw him a name. Tom Hanks, okay, listen. I actually have a big problem with Tom Hanks, okay? The guy, okay, the Tom Hanks, I'm actually getting upset right now. Tom <laughs> Hanks, Tom Hanks is married to Rita Wilson, beautiful Grecian goddess, okay? She produced my big fat Greek wedding. She's an independent film hero. And Tom Hanks has got Greek citizenship from marrying her. He did not have to serve in the military for a single day. I cannot get a Greek passport, but freaking Mr. Big over there can get one yeah. without doing anything except making love to one of the most beautiful actresses in the world. Oh, yeah. And then Tom having Hanks. the weirdest kid of all time. Do you oh. guys know Chet Hanks? Yes. My God, best Instagram follow, but craziest guy in the world. Oh, yeah. His son started White Boy Summer. Right. I don't know. Tom, okay, it makes sense. Tom Hanks is America's dad, so Chet Hanks, therefore, is modern-day America. <laughs> it makes much more sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, that comes together. Does there anyone else want to yell out an actor? Oh, my God, Tony Hopkins. You might have stumped me, but you also might not have. Have you seen the movie Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs? Oh, yeah. Mike, okay, this is a really crazy movie. He's actually really bad in it, but also... He plays Hannibal Lecter, 
and he's a cannibal. Hannibal the cannibal? So that's lame. By the way, that's not cool. In this movie, he becomes a university lecturer. So he's Hannibal Lecter, cannibal lecturer. <laughs> that's weird. They put that movie in cinemas. <laughs> they wrote it down as a book and then said, okay, keeping it all in, put it in a movie. Well, also, he got cancelled because he ruined the Oscars by winning Best he, Actor. I actually watched that movie that day. Right. He's really good at it. He's, re- He's awesome. <laughs> the father rocks, everybody. But, but what, I, what I love about the Oscars was that everyone was convinced that uh, Chadwick Boseman was going to win. So they're like, oh, rather than finish with our Best Picture, let's finish with Best Actor and go out on a high. And then they get Joaquin Phoenix, who walked out, who is the most awkward man mm. in the world. To He's pres- a charmer. Get oh, the mate. Joker out there to end this show. It ended so well in the movie. Right. So he calls out, he reads it out, and the person who's dead doesn't win, and they don't give it to the person who's in Wales asleep. And the Oscars just finished like a wet fart, and it was amazing, right? Um, AJ, you are a big fan of, and this made me laugh when you told me, you're a big fan of the Carry On movies. I am. Do people know How the Carry On you? film? <laughs> I'm a really good 90. Yeah. Um, does it, people know what the Carry On films are? Yes, okay, because I was really worried because yeah. their, their film, they were like 1958 to 1978. So, like, my generation should not really have known <laughs> what they were. And so I was like, if I bring it up, is everyone going to be like... And then I just have to justify and retell 31 films right. to get everybody up to date that then talk about why I love them and why they... Uh, they're, they're pretty bad, yeah. but they're so good. They're popping more than one out a year. They were they were churning, and then oh they had like Lord. Christmas specials. They had like they had everything, but they like they have the most like I think the most impressive comedy line in any film I've ever heard, <laughs> and it's when it's in Carry On Cleo, and it's Kenneth Williams, and he's playing Julius Caesar, and the soldiers <laughs> oh are after God. him. When you say Carry On Cleo, I'm like it's probably about the magazine or something. <laughs> really angsty um but like he's being chased as julius caesar and his line is infamy infamy they've all got it in for me <laughs> and i am a sucker for wordplay <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i just i just froffed it but it's terrible like it's incredibly homophobic yeah. it's quite misogynistic blackface is rampant it's racist and i grew up on that and i was like oh i like this one right as a little gay brown boy i was like i don't know why i feel connected because i shouldn't i really shouldn't <laughs> but i literally watched one this afternoon i was like oh, right. i can never watch one which one did you watch this afternoon oh uh, um oh, was it carry on chopping no carry on, chopping <laughs> carry on was- chopper no, cho- <laughs> About the Australian oh, comedian. Yeah. No, um, carry on. It's a set in a revolution um, of the French Revolution. They just do anything. They literally do, but that's what's so I great thought about carry it. on was set on a bus. By the way, I just need to slow everything down for a moment because you just gave your age away when you mentioned Chopper and you immediately went, the Australian comedian yeah. and not the awful man who killed a lot of people, right? <laughs> that he's based on. I'm also British, so do I get a, yeah. uh, I get yeah. out of jail card for not yeah, being? <laughs> absolutely. It was just a funny thing to just go, oh, yeah, hey, Franklin. But... Uh, <laughs> You can't get cancelled in Australia. Chopper killed people and chopped off his own ears, then did the RSL circuit till he died. Yeah. I. This is literally the first time I'm ever hearing about this. Oh, yeah. That's just... That that's a thing. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, I'm having a bit of a moment. Yeah. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, Australia just was into it. Oh, he's releasing children's books. He's funny. And Uncle he did the RSLs. Oh, yeah. I met him once. I did a gig with him at the Comics Lounge. Daryl Summers, Chopper, Hammer. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he, this was back when, like, mobile phones were, you know, just kind of just starting to get the cameras. Mm. And he walked up to me like this and went, and took a photo of me and normally I'd just say, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? But for Chopper, I just went, oh, did, do you want another one? Like, we can... <laughs> Did you get my right side? I look a bit fat on this yeah, side. Yeah, your right, it was, there was no, like, only plastic cutlery allowed in the green room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is making sense. Um, when, how old were you when you were watching, like, you were enjoying the Carry On movies? Mm. When did you genuinely realise that this shit is problematic? Oh, that's such a good question because I I grew up on all of those kind of like very simple, like arguably quite stupid British farces. You know, you're keeping up appearances, hello, hello, like all of them, but that are actually really intelligent when you actually grind down to the writing of it and the, how it's structured. Um, and so I just, you know, when you grow up with something, you just accept it and you have this a mirage of what it is. Until someone comes up to you and says something. It was only a couple of years ago when I was introducing it. I was like, oh, I love Carry On Up the Kyber. And um, for they many reasons. They do everything. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, and so I was like, oh, like, they're all, they're all in blackface. And I was like, oh, I suppose they are. And that's a bit naughty, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit not allowed. But, like, I was aware of it, but not at the same time. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's always that moment where you have to kind of reconcile what's going on and then make a choice. Oh, am I going to stick with this or am I not going to stick with this? Alexi, I don't know if you know this about him. He has got his flag firmly planted in the world of Scientology because who are two of your favorite actors? Two favorite actors of all time. I absolutely love Jonathan Travolta. He's wickedly talented. He's actually the most beautiful person that ever lived. <laughs> Who said ew? How dare you? I want to dive into the man's dimple. He's gorgeous. You but- see him in Greece where he wears that pink suit? My God. He's wearing matching pink socks. By the way, everyone who's been mentioned, you mentioned John Travolta, and finally someone goes, what the fuck? <laughs> We're talking Chopper up here, and you're like, he's funny. We love Chopper. John Travolta. He's gorgeous. And he's the best actor. I think he's the best actor. Oh. Of all the actors that ever lived, John Travolta, number one, baby. You've I love him. First people. Yeah. I love him. <laughs> I remember I saw Saturday Night Fever when I was like 14 years old, and there's a scene where he's like in his underwear dancing around going, Al Pacino, Al Pacino, and like dancing in front of his grandma. I was like, that's me up there. <laughs> That's me. And then I watched like Hairspray go, a little less me, but still. <laughs> and I, 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 I He's love done him. some great movies like yeah. Blowout is mm. an underrated Oh my God, I want him to blow me out. He's gorgeous in that movie. <laughs> yeah. He's so cool. I bought, I watched Blowout for the first time and bought three different outfits while I was watching it based on the clothes he was wearing. <laughs> I, when I was 14 years old, I also printed out a photo of John Travolta to keep in my wallet so I could look at it whenever Aww. I wanted to. And you know, it was like, you know, color ink. So it's like wet for like seven days. <laughs> That's like leave it out to dry, then laminate it, put it into my pocket. Cause you couldn't just Google a photo when you're like, Oh, I want to see John Travolta today. So that's like take it out. Like it was a picture of a saint and I was praying to it. Just going, God, love you, Johnny boy. Love you. So if you ever had an act or something and the paramedics turn up and they were like we've got to find out who he is let's look yeah. in the wallet yeah. and be like oh we found out too much he's uh, John Travolta's stalker yeah. 
There's so many Scientologist actors. Also, yeah, everyone. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise oh my god! I actually think he is improved by Scientology because it makes him legit crazy. Yes, you wouldn't have any Tom Cruise movies if he wasn't like insane. proper insane yeah. Scientologist. Mate, he was strapped to the outside of a fucking plane yes. for realsies. Like, right now, he's in space doing a stunt for a fucking movie <laughs> of all things. Like he's powered by Xenu. He is Absolutely. up there. <laughs> But I like. I have to be honest. The Mission Impossible movies oh. I reckon are amazing, and they're even more fun if, when you're watching them, yeah. you pretend that like Henry Cavill doesn't know that he's really gonna crash the helicopter <laughs> into the mountain, yeah. and you enjoy it even more because you know he's like, "Let's do this," Let's and Henry Cavill's it. like, "I'm an actor." It's pretendsies, and he's like, nah, we're going to fucking do this. In that last one, you literally see the scene where he runs and leaps and he snaps his ankle <gasps> and gets up yeah. and keeps running. And it He was is powered funny. by Xenu in that moment. <laughs> like, I've got to keep doing it for my crazy god up in the sky right now. But I reckon my whole life people have been trying to, like, convince you Tom Cruise sucks. Like, there was that jump on the couch and, like, okay, that's cool. He was in love, okay? Give him a break. I'm all, I'm all like, his lawyer. I'm we like, okay, guys. in front of Oprah, you yes. know? Like, it's Oprah. Out. You're excited. <laughs> you're telling everyone you're in love. You jump on the couch for a second. I can't even sit on a couch. It's cool that he did it. It was his first stunt. And then there was, like, some photo that someone put up where they're like, check this out. I'm going to draw a line down Tom Cruise's head. Yeah. He's got a tooth in the middle of his mouth. Okay, it's cool. It's on purpose. He did it on purpose, okay? It looks cool he's got a tooth in the middle of his head, okay? It's not. It's fucking freaky. <laughs> I think it's cool, okay? No, it's I want not. a tooth in the middle of my head. No, you're insane. I went to the dentist like, give me the give me reverse braces to bring my teeth <laughs> to the middle. I want one buck tooth, okay? One tooth, so if you need to open up a canyon like that. It's, <laughs> once you see that photo, you cannot not see that yeah, fucking yeah. tooth. It's a It it's looks a awesome. Yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> it looks cool. Elizabeth Moss, also a Scientologist. Oh, I know. People oh, don't know that. Yeah. She's a Scientologist. She's the only Scientologist I don't like because she did a movie called Get Him to the Greek. I watched it. The Greek was a freaking theatre. They Greek baited me, okay? <laughs> they absolutely Greek baited me. I'm like, okay, it's going to be awesome. Johnny Hill's yeah. going to be Greek in this movie. Best movie ever. And you go in, um, the Greek was a fucking building. <laughs> and Elizabeth Moss didn't have to do military service in Greece either. Not yeah. at all. Uh, <laughs> she only had to do it on Saturn 15 <laughs> in the Great War of Xenu. I was an extra in The Invisible Man. Oh, really? And there's a scene where she's going through what's supposed to be San Francisco, um, but they made Martin Place look like yeah. him. It was cheaper to get all the, the people here. And if you stare really closely at one second, I'm slightly behind her. Like, <gasps> yeah. My God. <laughs> Maybe I should be cancelled. Yes. I have Elizabeth Moss' weird eye behind her shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can I become a me? I was even sneakily in the trailer. Oh, oh my really? God, you're in the trailer. Just for a little bit. Like, right. Not noticeable. You know what, Lizzie, I forgive you. <laughs> oh, you can join one more cult. I still like you now. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's give it up for Alexi Toliopoulos and AJ Lamarck. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you for having us. Uh, we are now going to uh, welcome to the stage a very good friend of mine. You would hear him on Big Squid all the time. He's my special little fella. Please welcome to the stage Ben Elwood. It's you. I know. I'm your special little guy. You are my special little guy. Hey, man. Hey, everybody. 
Uh, so we were going to discuss the idea of people who tell you you can't tell personal stories. Fuck those people. Right, because it triggers them. Your personal yeah. story yeah, triggers yeah, yeah. them, even though it's your story. Yeah, which I understand. I mean, I say a lot of stuff that triggers people. I can deal with that. But yeah. it's, uh, it's weird when people, you know... Laughter and humour and all that kind of stuff, it's like a recontextualization of trauma sometimes, right? right? So you don't fucking go insane. Yeah. Right? That's my whole career. That's my whole fucking life. Yeah. Like everything has to be processed through ha-has, otherwise it's just, an, yeah. you know, insane making. Um, but there seems to be no uh, criticism of people that process trauma through religion or right. finding God or whatever it is, which right. is a coping mechanism in of itself, right? Right. But, you know, sometimes people have a problem with the humour. But right. I was raised to have a dark sense of humour. Oh, yeah. Like, I was the same thing. You know, it was like that was the way that you dealt with all sorts of things yeah. uh, when you were younger. And it's uh, it's funny when people come up and say, oh, can you not tell that story? That makes me feel bad about myself. Sometimes if you're being triggered by something, it's telling you that there's something that you need to deal with. And you can't just <laughs> tell people, no, don't do that. Maybe you should look at the thing. Like, I'm constantly triggered. Like, I'm triggered at the moment. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Like, life, life is triggering. Life yes. has... Like, I think that's my, my issue with the whole, like, I'm triggered and all that. I get it. Like, life yes. is fucking rough, right? It's coming at you 24 frames a second in Technicolor. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But, you know, you don't get through it unscathed. And uh, if you're constantly surrounding yourself in bubble wrap or safe spaces or whatever, how are you going to deal with that nut that's flipping out on the bus? Right. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. when you're sitting on a bus and someone starts, you know, like, the, like you're fucking zombies, you're all fucking on your phones. And it's like... It doesn't trigger me. Right. Like, you know, in that moment, I'm like, wow, this is the one guy on the bus that I actually relate to. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you end up going and doing the same gig together. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, bestie. <laughs> but, you know, so when I was in, uh, when, when I was about 12 or 13, my grandfather had a heart attack mm. in uh, front of me. It was really full on. He just dropped caught him, had to get his false teeth out of his mouth while the poor guy was in so much trouble. Mum was calling the ambulance. Ambulance turned up. He ended up living, but it was such a full-on heart attack. You know, he he didn't have a great life after Mm. that. And uh, that was like on a Tuesday. And then on Saturday I was watching video hits and David Lee Roth had a film clip (laughs) and in the film clip someone's having a heart attack mainly because there's heaps of hot California girls and they can't cope. And David Lee Roth is, you know, like they're they're acting out someone having a heart attack and all of that and I watched that and I had a brief moment of going, that's weird. And then I just had this moment of logic where I was like, I have a feeling David Lee Roth is not directing this at me, and then I was fine, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when I go to the Dendy uh, just before Father's Day and an ad comes on going, get your dad a fucking power wrench this right. Father's Day, and I don't sit there going, I don't have a dad, they should cancel Father's Day. Yeah. Like, if you just, like, understand, no, Father's Day's a thing. It's yeah, all right. I don't get upset. Like, it's my dad good. died five years ago, but that's all right. Like, Did he? Yeah, well, David Bowie. But anyway, oh. so, <laughs> you know, I'm uh, fine. But your stepdad, Christopher Nolan, is alive and well. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool. Uh, anyway, he's only a year older than me. That'd be a bit weird. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd be quite happy if he just let me slept in the room and I could sleep at the bottom of the bed. I imagine, like, you know those, like, really ornate dog beds, like, at the foot of beds? Yeah, I me. imagine you, like, curled up there. Yeah. Oh, read, Tell the, me about... read the screenplay to Tenant to me. Yeah. Talk to me about time. That's what I'd be saying all the time. Anyway, uh, a very in Nolan joke, and uh, sometimes the jokes are just for one person. So, yeah. 
So what was the uh, – we were talking about this in the lead-up and you started to tell me a story and we were talking about things being triggered, et cetera, yeah. and you've been told not to – you know, kind of tell this story, and you started to tell me. And I said, "I don't, I don't want to hear it now. I want you to <laughs> tell me for the first time on stage with an audience." So I don't know what's about to happen. And you're, <laughs> here's here's the thing: it's either I'm sorry or you're welcome. So, oh, I could get so much worse than the story I'm planning to tell. But uh, no, like two. Okay. Huh? Go on. I'm not going to tell the colorectal story. That's a whole other thing. Uh, no, let me, let me just say, uh, so my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, right? right? And my grandfather, like my grandma was in the Warsaw Ghetto and my grandpa was in Treblinka. Yep. And so they had, uh, you know, like this is nightmare experience. This is shit that we can't even put in. You know, all you can do is imagine it. You can go and see a movie or whatever and kind of vacation in the horror of it. But really, like the, the lived reality of it would just be, it's like Hieronymus Bosch nightmare right. stuff. Uh, and... They had very different ways of dealing with the trauma. So my grandma went into like full kind of zen positivity. Like she could see the beauty in everything, like the clouds and the flowers. And and when she was still alive, I was still surly and all, you know, cynical and everything and thought she was not I didn't think she was an idiot, but I thought she was naive. Like right. I remember me and my grandpa sitting there one time and being like, Yeah, 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 the world's fucked. And she was just like, Why can't you just think about three nice things? And we're like, name three nice things. Name three nice things. And she's like, a baby smile, the sunrise, and the wind through your hair. So beautiful, right? Right. We were both like, ah, shut up. That's bullshit. But now that I'm fucking like close to 40, I'm like, no, she's fucking right, man. Um, but my grandpa's way of dealing with... By the way, <laughs> I'm fucking loving that you just shouted down your grandmother while oh, she's yeah. trying to be nice. <laughs> It was a baby smile. Dude, it was a very informal house. My grandfather ate every meal like he'd just been liberated from Treblinka. Like, (laughs) like that. And I remember one time I said to him, like, what? This is out of control. And he looks up at me with food falling down his face and he goes, ah, manners are for white people. (laughs) Fucking cool. That was so cool. Uh, So anyway, like, (laughs) his whole family got murdered in the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and you know, his way of dealing with that was he became uh, whatever the nineteen late 1940s version of a stand-up comedian was in Poland. Right. That was his way of processing the trauma. Like, let's, you know, get it out in a funny way because otherwise it's too fucking awful yeah. to deal with. Uh, and uh, I started comedy after he died, but there were so many nights where I'd have a shit gig and I'd be whining to myself. And then I think, like, if I could talk to him, like, oh, I did the Oriental Hotel in Newcastle and they threw coasters at my head. And he'd be like, mate, I played to a crowd in fucking 1946 Poland. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you want to talk about tough crowds. Um, so anyway, his whole, like, uh, and when I say I was raised to laugh at dark stuff, like, yeah. that's literally the truth. Yeah. Uh, he sat me down when I was like, I don't know, like four or five. And he was basically like, look, life really hurts. It really hurts. And laughter and crying are kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And if you think about the physical output, like (laughs) is very similar to (laughs) like it's the same thing. Yeah. You just kind of flip the perspective a bit. And it's not to trivialize the horror or the trauma or pretend that it didn't happen or whatever. As I say, it's to recontextualize it so that you can yeah. bear it. Uh, so nothing was off limits in my household other than not being funny. Uh, and so he would teach like rule of three right. or like all the rules of comedy, you know, don't ever repeat a joke twice or they'll think you're a hack. 
I'm five. What is like, leave me alone. <laughs> um, and so, like, we were really raised in this with, like, you know, really gross practical jokes and Holocaust jokes and everything. So, you know, I'm having trouble in the year 2021 with, like, you can't say that. That's because I do think it's a survival mechanism. And all of the, <laughs> all of this culminated uh, in the years between. I think 05 and 07 mm. and, uh, you know, they say like disasters come in threes and it was, it was just this rolling series of disasters. First, my uh, grandmother died and then my grandfather died and then mum got lung cancer and then my dad after 30 years popped up on MySpace and went, hey, what's been happening? On MySpace. <laughs> MySpace. Of all the places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, it was a fucked up day. I logged on and just said, hey, man. Because uh, my Elwood is spelled with two L's, which is unusual. And he wrote, um, you don't often see Elwood spelled with two L's. Weird, huh? And I sat there, I sat there for like half an hour going, oh, that's my dad after 30 years. Okay. Mate, he spent 30 years trying to work out how to get in touch and he just said, oh, fuck, we both got double L. Double L. Oh, that was the fucking key all along. Jesus Christ. Yeah, full on. Uh, and so anyway, all of this culminated uh, about – Six months, about six months after my grandfather died, uh, at due funerals, it takes a year to put the stone up. Right. right? What are you laughing at, you fucking anti Semite? All right. right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so we can write a nice message on the stone, you see? Oh, right. We're not like white people that are like, beloved. Nan, that'll do. Uh, we like put effort into hey, it. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, you just told us a story about screaming at your nan, so don't get on that fucking <laughs> yeah, right, fair enough, soon, fair right? <laughs> So, uh, so my grandmother's stone, uh, my grandfather's stone was up, and my grandmother, it was just like a, a like a, a, a plot of dirt, right? Before while, while we were writing the message, yep. and so my mum, who was quite deranged with grief uh, at the time, and has a real phobia, like a real phobia of death, uh, uh, <laughs> she went to the grave to lay. It was whatever, my grandma's anniversary of whatever, birth or death or whatever. Uh, and she went to lay the flowers on my grandmother's grave. And as she stepped onto my grandfather's grave, it was like, like a bit squelchy. And then all of a sudden she just starts going, the sinking into her mother's grave. There was a burst water main in the grave, which had turned the soil into quicksand. And my four foot nine mother is like, like sinking up to her tits in her mother's dead mother's grave soil. The sun's going down. The fucking cemetery's about to close. And the only way she can get, the only reason she got out is because a grave digger on a golf buggy happened to be driving by, thought it was like fucking The Walking Dead, some yeah. reanimated, <laughs> like crawling out of there. So she, like, she came home and she was literally like yeah. mud up to there going, you wouldn't fucking believe what happened to me. <laughs> No, I wouldn't fuck. And so we had to we had to dig them up, right, and fucking rebury them because the uh, the grave was saturated with water. But you know, oh, sorry, uh, but like you know, we've dined out on that story for fucking ten years. It's yeah. fucking hilarious. Fuck, I don't know why you haven't added to it. There should have been someone with a boombox playing Thriller. Like that's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to do it right. Yeah. Like, otherwise, it's too. Because our family, like our extended family at the time, when that happened, like they were already kind of like, "Well, this is too much tragedy to bear." Yeah. And when that happened, it was on such a like a curb your enthusiasm, parodic level of tragedy that even they were just like, "You know what? We're just not even going to acknowledge that this happened because it's yeah. just it's too fucked. It's too fucked." So like, 
and it, it was like you know when we arrived at the, the the day they dug my grandparents up, there were guys in biohazard suits, right? Like fucking Jesus. erecting a tent. Like seriously, yeah. man, it was so <laughs> fucked up. And they like they're in the hazmat suits, and mum's there again with her delusional lack of awareness of what death is, going, "Oh, I want to have a look at them. I want to see them one last no, time." No, 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 no. You really don't. <laughs> it's like really bad. But you know, we reburied them, and it was. Very beautiful. Well, I have to be honest, that story has triggered me. Give it up for <laughs> Ben Elwood. Thanks, Ben. That was great. <laughs> Jesus, shit. <laughs> Turns out, you're welcome. Okay. We're now going uh, to welcome the stage. We're going to be talking about books now, some uh, authors uh, that are a little bit problematic and how we can still enjoy them. Please welcome the stage, Rave McManus and Alice Fraser. <laughs> you um, well, there is you a must dip. be wrapped to follow that story. <laughs> I was triggered by the golf cart. <laughs> so, Alice, you were talking to me uh, in the lead up to this about uh, some really interesting authors from the 1930s. Yes, yes. So, uh, Georgette Heyer, born in 1902, Dorothy Elsayers, born in 1893, both of whom wrote genre fiction. So, uh, Georgette Heyer is basically the originator of uh, romance novels, particularly historical romance, particularly historical romance set in the Regency. If you've seen Bridgerton, you've seen fan fiction based on fan fiction based on fan fiction based on Georgette Heyer. She was a meticulous historian. She never used a word the day before it was uh, used in common language. Like, it's incredibly beautiful, witty light-hearted writing and I will defend to the death the validity of this form of literature. Was there as much sexiness in her writing? No, it's all super like, so she she uses the kind of your knowledge about what characters do to kind of push the romance into the background, so God, they're immensely so satisfying. So hot. It's yeah, it's so it's so satisfying. It's so beautifully written. I, I I really believe like this is a form of literature that has been derided because it's by women for women. And I, I is that uh, why it has to be cancelled? I'm, I'm no, lost. no, no, wait. Okay, sorry. I'm building up. Okay. And the problem is, she's very anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> And I love her so much and I like... Like, but how... how so, so, like, you're just going along in this beautiful, like, strong female character coming forward and, like, solving the problems of this family and the man is, like, reluctantly falling in love with her and then, then a moneylender shows up. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he's uh, hook-nosed and grimy and you're like, oh... Fuck. And see, this is the thing, right? I discovered Georgette Heyer in boxes of my mum's and my mum would read these novels and because they had these, like, overblown covers, she would cover them in the the wrappers of Easter eggs uh, so that they were beautiful and shiny and then she'd laminate them and so they smelled like chocolate and they were fucking delicious and I loved them so much and they are so (laughs) anti-Semitic. And I'm I'm the, you know, I'm a Holocaust survivor kid as well. My my father is uh, the son of a Holocaust survivor and, and so obviously my Jewish heritage means a lot to me and so I have to wrestle with this you know reality of like there's a couple of pages in a couple of the books which is so not okay and I think you have two options right you have two options one is you can ignore it yeah you can just pretend it doesn't exist you can Glue those pages together, not with cum, and... Oh, yeah. What, what was that delivered like, that's exactly where my mind was going? Because that's exactly because where your mind where was going. going. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Louis C.K., I'm triggered by that pop I was thinking of Tom and Louis C.K. Uh, at the time of the <laughs> but, but, but all the other thing you can do is what my brother does about everything. Uh, my brother, I don't talk about him often on stage, he's my twin brother, uh, he is Hamlet... 
he's Hamlet. You know, he's very thing about stuff. My brother is the originator <laughs> of the phrase, uh, why are all pleasures unethical? And I feel like you can take that approach to yeah. these things, that everything is problematic, everything is fucked up. So and when you you're reading, do you, do you scoot around the hook-nosed money lenders? I, I read it quite fast, you like fast-forwarded. Right. Sure, uh, fast-forward. <laughs> fast forward. Like one and a half speed. Yeah, the last time I watched the movie Manhattan, every time they said that Tracy was 17, I just yelled out, 27! And then I really enjoyed the rest of the movie. Well, fine. But, like, yeah. fun, fun... She's so lovely, she's, 27! Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, she, uh, she died, She died. she's dead, so nothing I do is going to change it. I feel like capitalist individualism requires us to take individual responsibility for, like, structural problems. I've said that. She is not responsible for anti-Semitism. She was a product of an anti-Semitic society. She was born uh, in, in, in 1902 when the worst that you could imagine as a result for anti-Semitism was like, what are they going to do, another little pogrom? Like, it wasn't... <laughs> so she's writing these stories going, okay, so I'm casting some shade yeah. on the Jewish people. I mean, what's the worst that can happen from here? Yes, okay. that's exactly what she's I... She's the start of the yeah, snowball. The problem is the Grand Sophie was written in 1950. Don't think about it. Don't think about that. Don't think about it. And, uh, and was there someone else? Was there another author that you were... So Dorothy L. Sayers, who writes uh, uh, genre uh, detective novels right, with the yes. uh, beautiful, beautiful main character, Lord Peter Whimsey, who is sort of a mix... Uh, oh, fucking yes. Uh, he's... <laughs> well, until, well like, it's sort of. Like, you'd come in saying, hello, I'm Lord Whimsey. What's your, what's your first name? Peter. <laughs> so he was written... Jasper Whimsey. He's, he's a beautiful um, counterexample of kind of uh, against toxic man masculinity is a mix between Fred Astaire and Bertie Wooster. He's sort of light-hearted, aristocratic detective. The love story between him and Harriet Vane is like one of the first feminist love stories you will ever read. It's like incredibly beautiful. It's about power dynamics. And then also a moneylender comes along. I feel like you're reading all these books and then it's like, it's moneyless. I'm motherfucker. Fucking fuck, you know. Dorothy also slightly better than Georgette Heyer in that she was not personally anti-Semitic. Oh, that's uh, She wrote uh, complex Jewish characters who came up in a number of places and I think was possibly blind to the ways in which what she was writing could come across as anti-Semitic. Yeah, but, like, uh, the way they were all... Whereas, whereas Georgette Heyer, to unfortunately... Accidentally slip and fall into yes, it. Yes, yeah, well, being, being unconscious. Well, like, you know, Georgette Heyer wrote letters in which she... <laughs> expressed her feelings. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, Dorothy L. Sayers, you know, stood by the... She was confronted uh, with her alleged anti-Semitism and she was like, no, 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 the, the Jews are the best characters that I write. So she had... Yeah. Even if she was doing it wrong, she did not have the intention of right. uh, maligning uh, whatever we are. Well, that's, a religion, a race, well, a that's group. The, the kind of... Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, there is a difference between intention and going for it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And... If you if you get rid of all of this stuff or you you ignore it or put it under the same umbrella, it's it, you're kind of losing the nuance of the argument. Well, so this is one of the things that I think about sometimes with arguments about rep- representation. Of you look back at these books and you're like they're very white, and you're like good, because <laughs> oh, yes. if they were writing non-white characters, they would not do it well. Oh yeah, you'd be fucking having trouble going from that money lender to that guy who fucking <laughs> has a banana boat. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, people feel very awkward about that. That's good. Finally. I was watching the, the little slot machine in your head going, what am I going to land on? What, what cultural stereotype can I land on yeah. that isn't going to... that can make my point but not offend everybody in the room? I thought you did very well. Oh, man, I was fucking well. all... Suddenly all I could think was uh, Greg Ritchie, <laughs> you know, the cricketer who did Mahatma Coke yeah. and uh, <laughs> did the character Banana Ghana. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because he did it and everyone thought it was fine and yeah. that's where I went and anyway maybe we'll edit this out of the podcast so uh, <laughs> he had a great stand up career you know, you know I never edited career. it right? not murdering so people so th- I think this is the, the where I've come down on, on this there's the problem because they're so good about what some things they're like super empowering of women they're like incredibly yes. groundbreaking in their own right they were these women who were making a living writing novels in the early part of this century they really made a difference in culture and yet so how do you enjoy shit like that yeah you just fast forward. You just have to. Well, so you still, you still would like. Would you recommend these books to people, or Absolute would you say, "Yeah, you, you might have to do"? Some I would. Editing. I would recommend them with a caveat. Yes. Well, that's. But that's also why you should never kind of. Uh, that, that's why I don't like the idea of getting rid of stuff. You, because once upon a time, like I would watch things with my mum. Do you know what I mean? And she would explain, "Well, this is the time, and this is the era." And now everyone's broken up on their different screens, doing things by themselves, and it's almost like I, I kind of lean into having a little placard, you know, at the start of every kind of movie. This was made in 1953. This is a really good movie. There's lots of important stuff. Not all Jews are moneylenders. Like, you know what I mean? And just kind of move forward from there. So so one of my absolute joys of uh, hanging out with Rove is I watch Rove when he's not looking. And I uh, <laughs> just through the window. Get Isn't out. that what being on television is? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. very true. That's very true. Oh, yeah. Every that's time right. I see him, I was just a... Right? What was that? No, what's that? Visual gag. It's not worth it on the podcast. So, no, it'll be worth it. I'll get it. Uh, but Rove uh, reads children's stories to his daughter, and it's really Fact, fun to I'm watch. I'm a good parent. He is. is and it's really child? fun. It's really she fun. She doesn't care for them, but I'm just like, you will sit and you will listen to me perform. In her defence, she's asleep, but he's That's reading them. Um, just sends her off. But what? So when I was watching Rove do this, uh, it, it was really fun, and then afterwards... He explained to me because they're Enid Blyton novels. Yes, and uh, and you do editing as you go along. Yeah, uh, I I started reading the Magic Faraway Tree to my daughter, and we got through those, which are not too bad. Enid Blyton has That's a checkered history. Oh, there's there's a lot of uh, elitist um, behaviour towards the not we. So any kid in the story, right? Anyone else who comes in is not welcomed at all. <laughs> and then once you get past the magic faraway tree, because there's not that many of those books, we moved on to the famous five. And that's when shit got real. Right. Because there's a lot of issues with the famous five. There's a lot of issues with Enid Blyton. People may be aware of the fact that she uh, came under fire a long, long time ago for all the gollywogs, the, the right. black dolls that were in Noddy. So they were all kind of taken out. They were quite problematic. She even uh, wrote a poem in the 1960s about a a doll that was black and was rejected by the other dolls because of its colour until it went out in the rain and the rain washed the colour off and then it was welcomed in. In the 1960s, when people are like, there is still actual segregation and Jim Crow laws, but you cut that shit out with the black doll. Right. In in, uh, the end of 2019... The uh, Royal Mint in the UK was saying, oh, we want to put some commemorative coins out with famous uh, British faces on these coins. Right. And one of the names that was put forward by the general public was Enid Blyton. And the Royal Mint said, "Uh uh-uh, 
She's racist and sexist and a homophobe. She got the trifecta, guys. Right. And that's a big deal for the Royal Mint, a company that will put members of the royal family <laughs> on their currency say, you are racist? That is a deep cut. Oh, man, tough time for Enid. So, yeah, uh, having read the, the story, surprisingly that's not what comes up. There's a lot of other issues that come up. And when I read, I don't pre-read any of these books. Right. So you kind of just go in chapter by chapter to keep it fresh. I try to make it lively and entertaining and every now and again you just see something coming up that's a problem and you have to pause and somehow circumnavigate your way around certain issues. And the so problem is also your daughter is whip smart. She is. Right? She's she, a little too... Like, uh, often chapters of these books, they're just eating a lot of food. Something exciting is about to happen and then everything just gets stopped while they eat a lot of food. And, <laughs> and one of the things they seem to... Like, potted meats. Uh, these books were all written in the, in the 1940s and yep. 50s. And uh, so there's a lot of potted meats and tongue is one that comes up quite a bit. And my daughter says, is that actually something people would eat? And I was like, yeah, I think you can still get it now. And her response was, imagine that, sitting there going, oh, my taste buds are really enjoying the taste of these taste buds. She's oh, a smart kid, wow. funny kid. She's a good kid. Mate, like you... I, I'm, I'm going to write that one and I, I took that one. I came up with that, if anyone asks. My, uh, my, I met uh, your daughter when she was... Two and a half? Probably. Three. And the first time I ever went over to dinner there, we uh, were we used to work on uh, Breakfast Radio together and it's as horrific as that sentence sounds. And <laughs> I was bitching about someone at the workplace that I thought was an arsehole and I didn't want to swear in front of his daughter. So I was just like, he's in the background going, nye, 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 nye. and she <laughs> looked at me and she said, Hamo, what did the man say? I said, the man said, nye, 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 nye. and she looked at me, put her fork down, picked up a bit of chicken and went, well, that's just how he is and put the chicken in in her mouth, and I thought, fuck, I want to gossip with you for the rest of my Drop life. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. I love her. So I'm going to read, this is just one chapter of a book. This is uh, Five Fall Into an Adventure in 1950. This was okay. first printed. This is the 1997 version of it. Can I add something in just that yes. always makes Enid Blyton more enjoyable to me yes. is uh, thinking about the potential innuendo of any sentence. Oh, the... Well, there's a kid called Dick. It goes without saying. You can, yeah. It it's goes without saying. Now, uh, I know no other way to do this than by doing the actual voices because, guys, when I entertain, there's no off switch. (laughs) So I'm going to do the voices that I do. Do not judge me. Normally when Richard Feidler's up here reading, he does a beautiful job of it and I I can make no guarantees. And the character of of Joe. So, of course, I don't know how well you know the characters of the Famous Five. Um, There's four kids and a dog. And they go on these adventures and that's pretty much it. In this story, they meet this girl called Jo. Yep. Her voice is described as sing-song, which I took as kind of being a bit Welsh. I don't know if I've nailed the accent, so apologies in advance. Um, you can cancel my voice for Jo if you want. Yep. And she is the daughter of one of the villains. Right. And she has just turned on her own dad and locked him in a tower so right. she can go and rescue the famous five. That's where we're at. And he's got a, an underling called Markov who's helping out. This is chapter 23, Markov goes hunting. George took the big key and looked at uh, Joe's got the key from the locked room. George <laughs> took the big key and looked at it with awe. Joe, this really is the key. You've locked them all in. Honestly, I think you're a marvel. She is, said Dick. And to Joe's enormous delight, he gave her a sudden quick hug. She's got the pluck of 20. You did say pluck, right? said Joe. 
I do, I do add on my own little bits. Yeah, I do I add my own little bits. <laughs> and this is where my wife will be going, it's bedtime, come on. It was really easy, said Joe, her eyes shining joyfully in the light of the torch. You trust me now, don't you? You're the best. Oh, yes, you are, said George. I take back every single mean thing I said about you. Joe beamed and gave George a light punch. <laughs> Timmy suddenly put his head on Joe's knee. Don't panic, Timmy is the dog. This isn't one oh, of the problems. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> All fine. Look at that, said Joe. He remembers me. Is he better, George? Yeah, he is better, she said. He ate half a sausage roll I gave him, though he sniffed at it like anything at first. I think he knows something has been put into his food, and now he's suspicious of it. Good old Timmy. The three of them were thinking, uh, as Julian said, looking at his watch, it's getting on towards evening now, he said. I wonder what those other fellows are doing. Well, the three of them were still locked up, no matter how Markov, the bad guy had tried to batter in the door it held. It was old and immensely strong. Oh, thanks, a workout. And the lock, that was me being the door, and the lock held without showing any sign of even giving away half a centimetre. Then Red, who's the dad of Joe, who's locked in the room, says, Mark off, take Carl and Tom and go down into those underground caves. Those children are down there. It's the only place for them to hide. Get hold of those kids and search them for the key. So the bad guys go down into the caves. They find the kids. The kids hear them coming, but the kids have to hide. They don't do a very good job of it. And Markov, who's flashing his torch up and down the walls to see if any of the children are crouching, steps on Joe's hand and she gives a terrified yelp and he grabs her. Oh, no. He pulls the girl out and said, This is the one we want. She's got the key. Where is it, you little rat? And Julian was horrified because he's hiding. And he was about to jump down and help her. Honestly, guys, he was ser- seriously, he was just about to jump down. If anyone asked, he was just about to do it. I know he didn't, but he was, ju- he was just about to. How's Joe Welsh and her dad not? I oh, know, because he's... He, I don't know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on, carry on. Because he, she's adopted. <laughs> she's making fun of his accent. He's travelled. He's very travelled. <laughs> so, oh, all right, you brute, she said. Here's the key. Have it and let my dad out before the police come. I don't want him caught. So Markov gives an exclamation of triumph. Triumph! And, and runs away, but not before saying, we're going to lock you in here and you're all going to be prisoners. So then his mates and him all run off and the kids are like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then they shine their torches and realise that they're locked in there. There's a rock that's been rolled over the, the entrance to the cave. And then Joe says, oh, it was a pity old Joe was found. And even greater pity that she gave up the key. Now Red and the others will go free. Oh, no, they won't, <laughs> said Joe. I didn't give them the key. To the tower room, I gave them the key to the larder. And then Joe told them that she'd taken to the kitchen to eat some food and locked herself in there to make sure she was safe and then had to lock the door again when she left because I thought I'd take the key too because who knows, I might have wanted to get back into the larder again and lock myself in with the food. It's funny because she's malnourished. (laughs) But suddenly a most disagreeable thought struck Dick. Wait a bit, he said. What's... What's going to happen when they find that we've got the, they've got the wrong key? They'll be down here again, and my word, what will happen to us then? Shun dun dun. That's how I end every chapter. Right. Shun dun dun. Great. Now. Hanger ending. What, round of applause. It's fun, right? And then he so. tucks me into bed. Now, what, 
what um, thanks Rave. What uh, what did you cut out? There's a couple of things here. So when George says to Joe, "Hey, good on you. I take back every single thing I said about you." She says, "You're as good as a boy." <laughs> this is the very highest compliment that George could ever pay any girl. There's a lot of this George the character going, I want to be a boy because boys are better than girls and you can't be brave unless you're a boy that is very, very uh, problematic with, uh, with Enid. Or, or the beautiful blossoming story of a young trans man. Well, it could be. Maybe <laughs> she was ahead of her time. But then we had... Uh, Oh, the, the dog that ate, uh, Timmy the dog, ate half a sausage roll. I think he knows something it, I said has been put into his food. I think he knows he's been drugged because they drugged oh, Jesus. the dog. I did, in one of the earlier chapters, the word doped is used, like they doped the dog. And I didn't catch it in time. And my daughter said, what's, it, what's doped? I said, oh, you know, it's like what Uncle Hamo has to do to get through the Schneider cut for medicinal reasons. And my cataracts. And she went, that makes sense. And then, and then the big one is when the dad who's locked in the room says, go down and find the kids, get hold of the kids, search them for the key, and if that dog gets in the way, shoot it. Oh. <laughs> and then finally, when the bad guys are leaving, this, it gets pretty hefty, and this was a big chunk that I had to work my way through. No, the Jinta Dune was fine. <laughs> So they find Joe. This is the one we want, he says. She's got the key. Where is your little rat? Give it to me or I'll throw you down the cliff. Julian was horrified. He felt certain that Markov would really throw Joe down the cliff. And he was just, like, he was just about to jump out, guys. He was seriously just about to jump out. But he, uh, Markov gave an exclamation of triumph, snatched the shining key out of Joe's hand, then gave her a resounding box on the ear. You little toad, you can stay down here with the others and it'll be a very, very long stay. Do you know what you're going to do? Well, we're going to roll a big rock over the hole in the cave's roof and you'll be prisoners. You can't escape upwards. You won't be able to escape downwards. And if you try to get out by the rocks, you'll be dashed in the sea if you try to swim away. That'll teach you to interfere. Child murder! (laughs) Enid Blyton, I highly recommend it. Right. Wow. Surprisingly, not as racist as you would think, but a lot of shooting dogs, drugging them and holding kids against their will. And apparently Welsh accents that have no reason for being. (laughs) See you. Uh, Give it up for Rove McManus and Alice Fraser. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) My my next challenge for you, Rove, is to tell uh, that Ben Elwood story about his grandparents to Ruby and take out all the bad bits. Stop, he's great. Uh, We're going to bring out our final guests uh, for this evening. Please welcome to the stage Richard Feidler and Georgia Mooney. Hello. Hello. You're there. Hello, Justin. Hello. Uh, just hearing Rove tell that story, can I tell a quick story about what, uh, I don't know if this is cancel culture or political correctness gone mad about bedtime stories. Yeah. I was once asked to read a story from my friend's son. This is years and years ago before I had kids myself. And he'd been given his book from preschool, which was a version of, and I do mean a version of, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. And I read this aloud to him with sort of growing concern because it, it wasn't the story of the boy who cried wolf that I remembered. It began with this boy who's lonely on a mountain, has to look after the sheep, and because he's lonely, he needs to draw attention to himself by crying wolf. So there's psychological tension here for a start. So right. that's, that's, there's a bit of motivation there. And he does it so often, does it too often, and one day, of course, the 
wolf comes, he cries wolf, he's not believed. But then eventually dad gives in and dad comes up, sees that there is a wolf. The wolf is not shot, the wolf is shooed away. The dad realises the boy is lonely and so he gives him a dog for companionship. And I thought, I think something of the moral lesson has been lost from this story. Right. And I asked this 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 five-year-old kid I was babysitting, what, what did you learn from this story? And I swear I'm not making this up. He said, I learned that if you tell a lot of lies, you get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Good lesson. Indeed, yes. <laughs> like that is... Uh... That, that story just makes no sense. Like, it makes no sense at all. And another thing about uh, uh, Enid Blyton, I was reading Enid Blyton to my kids when they were little, and I love the magic faraway tree, but there had been a big change. And old, pe- people of my age and older may remember this, that when they pick it up to read to their kids, there have been two key changes. The two children <laughs> called Rick and Franny were not Rick and Franny in the versions I... They were Dick and Fanny. Right. <laughs> And that leads to all kinds of smutty things with Dick saying, come up here, Dick, no, I'm down there. But I thought that was pointless to take that out because that was part of the entertainment factor. Right. It's like bawdy musical stuff, you know, like Puss in Boots, like, right. you know, 12 miles to London and still no sign of Dick, that kind right. of thing, you know. <laughs> you, you know they, uh, the Incredible Hulk TV series, they changed the from Bruce Banner to David Banner because they thought Bruce sounded a little bit... Gay, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a funny thing to, but like, it's a show about a guy who gets angry and turns green and smashes shit, but can't have him called Bruce, mate. No. That's a bit weird. Like, a bit it's weirder. these yeah. bizarre changes. Um, we, we were talking earlier about uh, you're a fan of Francis Ford Coppola's yes. movies, yes, but I am. they are. Yes. Problematic. Yeah, well, yes. They, he's, he's problematic as a human being to some degree. I, I adore his films. I think the Godfather movies are the greatest movies ever made, and I love Apocalypse Now as a flawed but still uh, a masterpiece nonetheless, I think. Uh, years ago, uh, his former wife, Eleanor Coppola, made a documentary called Hearts of Darkness, which was a behind-the-scenes documentary of the making of Apocalypse Now, and it revealed what a kind of insane asshole Francis Ford Coppola was. I don't know many people seen this documentary. You know the very beginning of Apocalypse Now is Martin Sheen in, and he goes, Saigon, shit. And there's that incredible moment where he becomes sort of undone and he smashes up a mirror and is weeping. That's real. That's a breakdown induced by Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, yeah, it's it's completely real. Uh, he, he's put so much pressure on Martin Sheen that Martin Sheen is there. He's, it's like 10 in the morning. Martin Sheen is really drunk. He's having a kind of a, a nervous breakdown. And he stands there in front of the mirror. And you can see in the footage Francis Ford Coppola talking to Marty, trying to get him into motivation. He says, look at you. Look at standing there. Look, look in the mirror. Look at your body. Admire yourself. Look at you. You're a young Marine. Now scare yourself. And Martin Sheen punches the mirror. And that's real blood on his hand. And so when he collapses onto the ground, clutching the sheet, weeping, that's completely real. That's why it's so compelling to watch. Shortly after that, Martin Sheen had a heart attack from the pressure. And Eleanor Coppola recorded the phone conversations Francis Ford Coppola was having at the Times, telling his producers, Martin Sheen has not had a heart attack until I say he's had a heart attack. (laughs) Wow. So uh, it's often said that the Francis Ford Coppola... Francis Ford Coppola went into the jungle to make that movie and the Francis Ford Coppola that came out was not the same man. He was a different man. And he never really made a good movie after that. Uh, So I I suppose I'm just bringing that up to make the point that great art can be made by terrible assholes. Yeah. 
terrible human beings. Uh, Nanette, uh, Hannah Gadsby's uh, extraordinarily popular stage show, where she, she really got stuck into Picasso at the end. And absolutely. I thought you were about to slag off Hannah, and I was like, hey, now. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. I was like, yeah. fucking yeah. about time we finally got stuck into Hannah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. What a yeah. nightmare. What Jesus. she does to kittens, you just <laughs> yeah. would not believe. It's unbelievable. It makes me weep when I think about it. What she does to stand up. <laughs> yeah, how we meant right. to fucking live up to that. Yeah, she stops doing it. Mate, but, selfish. But Picasso was a terrible. I mean, the word misogynist is pretty well bandied about a lot these days, but my God, Picasso was an absolute misogynist. He said, women are either goddesses or doormats. That's one phrase. Uh, his, another phrase of his was that women are machines for suffering. Wow. And a lot of that suffering was inflicted by him. But if you <laughs> see those paintings today, they will take the top of your head off. They're so good. They are so completely amazing and mesmerising and undoubtedly great works of art. But the women do look a bit sad. They do look a bit unhappy. <laughs> they do look a bit sad. That's true, George. It's a bit... A bit like refracted into non-Euclidean dimensions, yes. (laughs) Because that's what suffering does to you. Yeah. Uh, The the Francis Ford Coppola thing, he does get his comeuppance, though, because he also has to do with Dennis Hopper, who's really stoned, and telling – there's that great scene where he's telling Francis Ford Coppola he's trying to forget (laughs) the lines so he can deliver them better, but he hasn't learnt the lines because he's too stoned. And watching that guy around in circles is – Tasty, yeah. right? <laughs> and Eleanor Coppola got also got a revenge by she's got this shot of Francis Ford Coppola saying, "This is the crisis I have. I'm trying to make a big film about big issues, and I and I'm probably failing. And this is the crisis any great artist must have. You're trying to make a big film, and you're worried it's going to be a pretentious mess. Then she cuts to a shot of Coppola just sort of standing around on the set, and he's put on a bit of weight, and he sort of he starts scratching himself under his t-shirt, and he says, no, no, he says." You want a club soda? And he goes, club soda department? That's the first thing he says. And then, then he just starts humming aimlessly to himself. He starts going... And after he's been talking about the torture of being a great artist, it's kind of nice to watch Francis Ford Coppola going... This is the end, beautiful friend, the end. <laughs> the, uh, Georgia and I, when we were talking about uh, this show in the lead-up, you were talking about uh, all the musical artists that it's uh, hard to get your head around mm. now. And it's, uh, it's tricky, isn't it? Like someone like Michael Jackson, Billie Jean is a great song. Can write a banger. Right. Can write a banger. Um, I know, yeah, I was thinking about it and I did... I, I did come to the conclusion that I think most of my favourite people are pretty good, but maybe because that's mostly – they're mostly women. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Um, but also you just never know. It, that can just – that can change. I was quite attached to Army Hammer until recently. Oh, yeah. So you never know. Um, Call Me By My Name has a fucking bad taste to it now, doesn't it, right? No, it's such a beautiful movie with yeah. lovely music. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, MJ, um, you, you, I don't know. I, I mean, he's, he, he writes the best songs for dancing, but you don't – I don't know if we're allowed to dance to them now. Well, you can, if you hear it in a bar, you do think, oh, that's brave. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, fuck, they're dropping this. No one has a problem here. Well, I I just – I find the Michael Jackson stuff to be incredibly 
fascinating and hard because quite clearly that whole family has dealt with abuse from an awful father Mm. and this is not condoning anything that happens from that but you can kind of see that viewpoint and from my perspective I kind of look at this is what happens in the entertainment industry. We protect people while they can still make us money and they can still produce all of this stuff and we will turn a blind eye and they'll just kind of make jokes about, well, just don't leave them in a room with that person or that kind of stuff rather than actually stepping forward while that person is still making money and, and doing something about it. And so I kind of look at that lineage and anyway, I still dance to Billy Jane. So that's how, <laughs> but that's how I can still kind of enjoy the music because I can see all the awful stuff that happened here and it doesn't mean I'm condoning anything that happened afterwards. But then there's the distorting effect that extreme fame has on people. You know, there's yeah. that amazing moment in The King of Comedy, the Scorsese movie, where yeah. Jerry Lewis is playing a late-night talk show host and he's still doing that thing where he's got to walk down the street towards the the, the broadcast uh, yeah. network building where he works and people are grabbing him all the time because he's the most famous man, one of the most famous people on TV. And they go, oh, my God, I'm just talking to my, my son here on the phone. He's just, can you can you come here? And Jerry, can you talk, can you talk to you? He says, I'm, I'm really sorry. But he loves you. He adores you. We love you. We think you're the greatest man of the world. He goes, I'm sorry. I've just got to get to it. And she goes, cancer. You should get cancer. Yeah. It's like, so So that that will do it to, to, to people. I think that yeah. weird, distorted uh, lens that people view them through will, will, will bend them out of shape. Yeah. And, you know, you've had, you've had that issue with, you know, your love of Morrissey. Yeah, Morrissey. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a real thing. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed by people saying these days – I loved Morrissey and he's just turned out to be this horrible person because I think Morrissey has always been a gigantic dickhead. And the signs were there, yeah. Right from the, <laughs> right from, right from the get-go, the signs were always there. But the songs are completely wonderful. Like, well, the Smith songs are anyway, I think. That was half Johnny Marr too, yeah. uh, the, the greatness of the Smiths. And for people of my age, I'm a Gen Xer, for us we, we sort of got into a bit of a uh, dead end with Joy Division, loving a band like Joy Division, the kind of the, the, the poetic gloom of that. Morrissey uh, and the Smiths were a band also from Manchester like Joy yeah. Division who sort of brought us out and brought, brought a lot of people out from that thing and got us laughing at ourselves again. And I remember listening to Hatful of Hollow over an entire weekend thinking, this is one of the greatest albums I've ever heard in my life. I mean, the, the perfect song of the north of England, the songs of the north of England, oh, cold cups of tea, uh, industrial blight, um, just and that intense longing you feel when you're at that age for other people that can never be requited, that hope you have for love, uh, the, the solipsism, the narcissism of, of all of that is embodied and, and the kind of humour and campness that's in Morrissey in, that, in the fabulously queer creature that he is was just irresistible at the time. Right. I mean, to, to be a guy on the dole writing a song where he says, I decree today that life is simply taking and not giving England is mine and it owes me a living. Ask me why and I'll spit in your eye. That's fantastic. Right. That's just, that's just glorious. And you can just enjoy it and not hang out with him. Like Max said, much easier. Did you see him on the Colbert Show. Did no, anyone ever no, see that? that? When no. Morrissey was on the <laughs> Colbert show and uh, Colbert's asking Morrissey, is there any time that it's okay to eat meat and Morrissey is not finding any of this funny and he's just giving terrible answers again, again and again. <laughs> and then finally Colbert says, what about, I know a goat that's a fucking arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> Morrissey did not laugh and Colbert finished with, do you still want to do a song for us? <laughs> it was great. 
but he, he's, he really does seem to be going down a, a pretty ugly path. He's, yeah. he's complaining about the fact that Britain is so multicultural. He's campaigning for a far-right political group called for, the For Britain Movement. Yeah. He's wearing their badges when he's going yeah. out and about. Um, and, and, and more recently and more ridiculously, he's got himself into a fight with The Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> Because The Simpsons had an episode. People heard about this. The Simpsons had an episode where Lisa Simpson falls in love with an English uh, pop star called Quillaby, voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. Um, who is kind of, he's got a quiff and he's a vegan, which Lisa loves, and he's alienated and tortured and, all, and poetic and all those things. And he has songs called like Hamburger Horror and um, Everyone is Horrid except for me and maybe you. Uh, uh, Sounds like a good song. Yeah. And at the end, though, um, this Quillaby character sort of sells out, becomes fat and starts eating hamburgers on stage. And, <laughs> and, and Morrissey got really upset and complained. And, and uh, he, he actually was saying that it, the, the show was racist for attacking him like that. Right. Which is really odd because everyone in The Simpsons is yellow and has four fingers. I, 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 and, I, and I don't know how that works, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring up the spectre of racism because uh, – Georgia has uh, something that she wants to share with us because you have a <laughs> my form- own admission. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, well, well, yes. When when you uh, invited me to do this show, kindly, um, you were suggesting that perhaps I could do a song by someone who's been cancelled. But then I thought maybe because it's hard, it's quite hard to pull off a Michael Jackson song um, with an omnichord <laughs> and this. Um, and um, I thought I'd just do a song that I wrote this week. Right. And it is um, – it's essentially – it is an admission of, of my own problematic views and um, that there is a group of people who um, I discriminate against based on the way that they look. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I have a dear friend and bandmate, Alana, and she has a strongly held view that – it shouldn't be illegal for redheads to date one another, but it should be frowned upon. <laughs> and that has, I think that's seeped in, that's crept in. And I feel like I sort of maybe feel like I agree. And I, <laughs> and to be honest, you don't see many ginger couples, you know. It's not a thing. It's not common. I don't know if we're consciously or otherwise sort of t- avoiding each other. I'm not sure. Maybe we are aware that we should be breeding this out. Um, but I, have you ever dated a redhead, Tom? Is he still here? He's gone home. And they're disgusting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, I don't know why. Um, but so I've I've never dated a redhead, and then until recently, I did meet one, and we had a couple of dates, and I was wary. I was so wary. Um, but then after a while, I thought maybe no, maybe this is nice. It's a sort of like a shared a shared history. Yeah. Um, a shared experience, um, and I was just getting into it and um, despite us looking a bit siblingy um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then he dumped me so well uh, oh. um, so this song which I'm about to play if I may yes is um, sort of about that whole journey okay um, and this is an omnicord it's basically a toy but God it's fun <laughs> okay oh that's the on button are you ready for this, Nicole? <laughs> Woo. Okay. 
Oh, wait. It's not jazz. <laughs> it's a waltz. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Quite a long song, sorry about that. (laughs) And in a post apocalyptic nightmare, where somehow you and I are all that's left, I'm not so sure the human race would survive. That's on account of our largely indoor lives But still I can't believe 
you turn this damn thing off. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Charity flirting. It's the only type I know. I, uh, round of applause for Richard Feidler and George Mooney. Um... So uh, that brings us to the end of the live podcast. Uh, you can find uh, previous episodes online. Uh, if you haven't uh, heard the show before, please check it out. Lots of these people that you've seen tonight have been guests talking about lots of interesting things and we'd love to have your patronage. Uh, could we have a round of applause for all the crew that work here, please? Uh, for Nicole and Cal, everyone at Giant Dwarf. Can we have a round of applause for uh, Kathleen McCarthy from Token Artist for helping out? A round of applause for her. Can we have a round of applause for all the acts that we've seen? Give it up for Tom Gleason, Angela Lapierre, Alexi Toliopoulos, AJ Lamarck, Ben Elwood, Rove, Alice Fraser, Richard Feidler, and Georgia Mooney. And we always like to finish the podcast with a quote. This is a quote from one of my favourite philosophical heroes, Calvin, and this quote comes from a conversation he had with his tiger, Hobbes. As my artist statement explains, my work is utterly incomprehensible and is therefore full of deep significance. Thank you very much. Until then. to thank all of my guests in the order that they appeared on the live show. So a big thank you to Tom, Ange, Alexi, AJ, Ben, Rove, Alice, Richard and Georgia for not only giving up their time but all being brilliant. A big thank you to Moira and the team at Giant Dwarf for giving us the space and for helping us record this show. And finally, thank you to Sean Allen for sorting out the audio to make it tip-top for the podcast. If you'd like to have a chat about anything on today's show or even previous podcasts, you can join our private Facebook page, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton, and talk to all of the interesting and diverse people over there. There's a lot of great chat threads. Uh, to be honest, there's so many I have trouble keeping up and I've just been really busy and I get in there and I'm like, wow, and I try to jump on wherever I can. But if you're looking for a smart and fun place to discuss your thoughts, there are a collection of great people over there who are waiting to embrace you. If you don't feel like having a chat, you can just go up to our normal Facebook page and that will let you know when there are shows coming up or when podcasts have been released. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to it and you know some people who might like to listen to it, word of mouth is the best way for this show to find its audience. Uh, also, if you have an opportunity, let my guests know that you enjoyed their work. We often work in a vacuum and it is always appreciated when we hear nice things from you on the socials. Let's finish this podcast with a quote from Norwegian social and political theorist John Elster. Knowing that one may be subject to bias is one thing, being able to correct it is another. Until then. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.